Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another amazing guest uh, with us live today. We are doing our IO Live series with Jeff Gotthelt. He is the co-author of a number of different books, Sense and Respond, Lean UX. He wrote the book Lean versus Agile versus Design Thinking. And today we have him on the show to talk about his latest new book coming out called Forever Employable. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Good to see you again. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you back on. I think you've been on the show three times in various forms across various the forms. world. <laughs> it was probably three or four years ago when you were launching Sense and Respond. You and Josh came on the show to talk about that. More recently, back at episode 156, we talked a little bit about building a culture of innovation and learning. And now the world has changed and you've written another book, Forever Employable. You're known mm-hmm. as the Linux Agile guy. Yeah. Why did you decide to write a book about career development? Yeah, it's super interesting. And everything you're saying and everything you're bringing up is exactly sort of the thought process and concern that I've gone through over the last couple of years. I've considered this project and whether or not it was something I was going to invest in and put out there. But the reality is that as different as it may seem by comparison to Lean UX, Sense and Respond, Lean versus Agile versus Design Thinking, when you read it, what you'll see is that the subject matter is different. The subject matter is you, your career, your professional development, your growth, your safety net. But a lot of the thinking is very, very similar and should be very familiar if you're familiar with Lean UX, Sense and Respond, Lean versus Agile versus Design Thinking. And the reason why this project even kicked off in the first place is tongue-in-cheek to some extent, but not really, was a response to things that I was sensing from the marketplace. And for years now, for the last two, three, four years, I've been getting inbound requests on a semi-regular basis to talk about how I built my career and how I built this platform and how I started writing books and giving talks and teaching workshops and that type of thing. People really want to know this kind of stuff. How do you actually make it happen? So I added an item to my backlog that said, you know, write something about this, tell this story that type of thing. And I was maybe do a medium piece about it or a blog post or whatever. I'd been thinking about doing it, but never kind of kicked off anything about it because again, it really felt outside of everything else that I was doing. And then about eight months ago or so, I had to give a talk for a private community of product leaders primarily. And the talk they wanted me to give was the author's journey. That was what they called it. Again, another request, right? Another inbound piece of feedback from the market that says there's a desire to hear the story. And so I wrote a 45-minute talk that told the story, at which point I was like, I have a story arc now. I've got a slide deck, right? This is basically a table of contents for a book. After a conversation, and still, still delayed, so I dragged my feet a little bit, but after a conversation with some folks, finally kind of got the kick in the butt to make it happen. So really it was a lot of sensing and responding and eventually just not being able to ignore the inbound evidence. The timing is impeccable in a, in a lot of different ways. The last couple of months, we've been thrown into a pandemic, and a lot of people are questioning 
this whole idea of disruption and it's a little bit more real to folks. And so I think a lot of people are at that point where they're starting to reevaluate, hey, what am I doing? And the world of work is changing. I'm changing. From a timing perspective, you couldn't be better time to tell people about some of the tricks and tips and, and ways to go about that. Let's talk about the changing world of work. You talk about how you have to create yourself as an invincible career and this ability to be forever employable. I talk a lot about this idea of having a portfolio career. It used to be you could be a product developer for your entire life and that was what you did. But now people have different slash jobs. I'm a podcaster. I'm a newsletter writer. I'm a director of innovation at a big corporation. Whatever it is, it's never one thing. So let's talk about the world of work. How are you seeing it? And are you seeing this pivot to this career that's never one career? There's a tremendous amount of volatility and unpredictability in your career. My best friend, his father worked at DuPont Chemicals for 40 years. Can you imagine? <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. Like that concept is so not reality anymore. And I, I do a lot of work in financial services and in banks and that type of thing. And I meet folks who've been at the bank for 20 years, 25 years. Even those numbers to me are unheard of, right? And I think that the kind of volatility that we're seeing today, hopefully not to the extent of the pandemic, sure. but nevertheless, is going to become commonplace, right? This idea of evolving markets, market shifts, competitive shifts, economic shifts, geopolitical shifts. The organization that you work for may not be as stable as you think or as you'd like. And frankly, the loyalty that you might expect from that organization is probably not as stable as you'd like. I mean, right now, good people are getting laid off right now because the pandemic is challenging these organizations to stay in business in a way that they've never been challenged before. And so good people are losing their jobs. People who didn't do anything wrong, did a great job, who were not the bottom 10%, like the Jack Welch, you know, let's take this as an opportunity to call the herd. These were good people. Look, I know this. I spent the first decade of my career following that standard career path. So applying for jobs, interviewing for jobs, getting my resume in shape, and then doing it again, and then doing it again for a slightly better title, a slight, a slight bit more money, like just kind of playing that game. And every time there was a layoff, every time there was a seismic event in the market, I would start to panic. And I would see the panic in my colleagues as well. Like, oh, I got to get my resume in shape. I got to start applying for jobs. Oh my God, my portfolio is out of date. All this kind of stuff. And that is a crappy way to live. And I don't believe that you have to live that way. I believe that you can create a situation where it's clear to the world what value you provide. And it's clear to the world when they need that service or value or skill set, where to go to get it so that you don't have to have that panicky feeling every time something kind of changes in, in the marketplace. And to me, that's huge. If I can help people build that safety net around themselves, that's a huge win. So we are live. We've got a number of people in the attendees. So we are open this up for Q&A in a bit. If you do have a question you'd like to ask Jeff, you can go to the Q&A box at the bottom of the Zoom, click your question in there, and we'll start answering those in a little bit. And you are the product effectively nowadays. What can you do to be a better product manager for yourself? What are some of the tips and things that you've talked about in the book to utilize this product management expertise on your own career? Yeah, and that's exactly the foot in the previous content that is maintained in this book, right? And to me, that's what made me feel more comfortable writing it, frankly, is because there is that connection, right? It's not just like this sharp left turn, 
but there is that connection that says treat yourself and your career and your professional development and growth as a product and use product development, product management practices, bring them to bear on that product and service that you're building. So let's think about it, okay? In the same way that we think about solving problems with the products and services that we make, okay, great. What problems do you solve? Right, let's start there. And again, this comes back to the value that you deliver. So what problems do you help solve? Well, I help people innovate more successfully. I help organizations become more agile, lowercase a, right? I help organizations focus more effectively on their customers. Whatever it is, right? What is value? If you can boil it down, what is the core value that you provide? That's number one. Who do you provide it for, right? Who's your target audience, right? Who are your personas? And my friend Jeff Patton is going to laugh when I say this uh, because I always fight with Jeff about, he loves to, to say that organizations can have a, a persona. You can make a persona for an organization. And I like to argue that organizations aren't people and that you have to make a persona for a person inside the organization. However, in this particular case, I might side with my friend Jeff and say that if you're solving problems, if, if you have a target audience for who you're solving problems for, you could say, I help solve these problems for legacy financial services institutions. I help solve these problems for law firms. I help solve these problems for plumbers. I think you can create sort of a, a target persona of an organization here as much as a person. You know, what benefit will you bring that person? Reduce their time to market. I will help them be more competitive, right? And that's the thing. And then how will you get there? Like, what, what's the hypothesis? Like, how will you do that? And so you kind of break it down that way and you start to think through all of these assumptions that you have about the service that you provide and then start to identify hypotheses, hypotheses that you can write about value that you can bring. And most importantly, and this is where it gets really interesting and I think new for a lot of folks who are going to read this book outside of product and tech, it's the measure of success. For a lot of folks, their measure of success is going to be, well, I launched my YouTube channel. I published my blog and that's output, right? So if we come back to outcomes over output, right? Again, a foot in innovation and product development. What is the outcome? If the YouTube channel resonates, if the blogs that you've published succeeds, if the podcast that you're putting out is working for you, what is the behavior change you want to see in your target audience? Well, I want to see them listening. I want to see them right. sharing. I want to see them reaching out and saying, I want to hire you, right? I want to bring you in to give a talk or teach about this. All that stuff is 100% applicable to you and your career and your professional development. Hey, listeners, we wanted to pause this episode and tell you about our sponsor, RSM. In this fast-paced environment, you need an advisor who thinks ahead and rapidly responds to your challenges and changing needs. And RSM is that partner. With audit, tax, and consulting services, RSM is your business advisor who takes the time to understand your industry, your goals, and your opportunities, then works with you to turn innovative ideas into reality. Find out more at rsmus.com io. I know you outlined in the book some of the qualities that a person who is trying to become forever employable should be nurturing and building. What are some of those qualities and what have you seen that's worked for yourself? So the qualities I list in the book are the qualities that I see in myself today. That is not to say that I saw those qualities in myself 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And even when I finally struck out on my own, I mean, I co-founded a company with Josh Seiden and Gift Constable in January of 2012. That was a big move, but I still had partners in that. 
when I finally struck out officially on my own at the end of 2015, roughly, it wasn't until then, really five years ago, less than five years ago, that I really started to feel like an entrepreneur. So the first quality is entrepreneurialism. It's what have you done to build entrepreneurial ventures or entrepreneurial skills in your life that can help you invent and reinvent yourself as the world changes around you. Right? So for example, I talk in the book about how I used to play in bands. And a lot of people will tell you that I didn't realize this at the time. I was just having fun trying to be a rock star. A lot of people will tell you that bands are startups. It's a bunch of folks getting together with a crazy idea, investing everything they have in it, sleeping on floors, trying to get the world to come to you and, and believe in your vision and subscribe to your stuff, buy your stuff, whatever it is. And I helped not only play music in bands, but I ran those business. Business is a strong word. You know, <laughs> businesses would imply we were making money. But I ran those ventures. Let's just put it that way. I have that skill set, right? So I'm sure you've done something entrepreneurial in your life to lean on. Self-confidence is key, right? What have you done in the past that was risky or something that made you uncomfortable, but you persevered and succeeded in the end or learned something from it? How do you leverage that to build your self-confidence? For me, the story that, again, the story that I tell in the book is I joined the circus when I was 22. <laughs> and now right after, I mean, literally, I graduated college on a Saturday and I put all my stuff in storage and my stuff, just to be perfectly clear, when I was 22, my stuff, if I recall, consisted of, I had a motorcycle, which was pretty cool. I had a <laughs> mattress <laughs> and I had a Bob Marley poster. That was pretty much, you know, like that's hard to get that mattress on the motorcycle, but (laughs) it's tough. It's tough. The Marley poster, you know, I could kind of roll up and Ah. throw on my shoulder, but you know, and then Monday I was in the circus and it was a paying gig. I was doing audio production and sound and lights and it was a gig and it paid money and real more money than I'd ever made before. And it was miserable and weird and this subculture that no one ever talks about or knows anything about, but I learned a ton about myself, about how to survive, about how to make the best of a weird situation and, you know, leverage that self-confidence. And then you start to get into kind of these more agile qualities. So continuous improvement, continuous learning, and then ultimately reinvention as well, right? As the world changes, I don't believe your core value has to change, but your delivery method, your channel, your face to the world that might have to change to correspond with whatever is happening out in the real world now. Entrepreneurial focus, self-confidence, continuous learning. A lot of these skills and qualities are not something that can be turned on overnight. And you talk about the fact that this is the journey and it takes a while sometimes to get these pieces in place. There's not like a silver bullet where you say, okay, today I'm going to be forever employable and here's what I have. It's really a process that you have to go through, just like building a product (laughs) where you have to build the product over time. And sometimes it takes a while to make that happen. Are there things that have sped up that process or things that have given you guidance as you've built out those skill sets? Yeah, it definitely took time and continues to take time. Like, I don't think I'm done. I feel like I'm actively working on this right now. It's, it's at a level of success now that's taken me a decade to get here, decade plus really at this point, probably about 12 years to get here. The interesting thing here is that you know, and this, this is going to sound cliche, but like success begets success, right? So, so small wins, but you, you don't have to be like, oh, I got the book deal. You can start with, oh, my tweet went viral, or I got a thousand people to read my blog post, or I got a hundred people to read my blog post, whatever it is, right? So 
this idea that the more you can create, the more that you can put out there, the more the success accelerates ultimately, and then eventually starts to pick up. So for example, I started actively pursuing this approach when I was 35, and I published Lean UX when I was 40. Not exactly early on in my career, and it took me five years from the day that I decided that I was gonna pursue this to the day that Lean UX was published, so five years. The accelerant attributes, the accelerant effect of Lean UX coming out on my career from that point forward was exponential in relation to the previous five years. The previous five years was very you know, incremental, 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 and then the book hit and it was like a significant step forward. I think that it takes patience and perseverance one thing, I'll tell just a quick aside, I've started a, a series of interviews, not unlike these, called Forever Employable Stories, and they're on my blog. They're at jeffgodhealth.com. I've done two so far. I've got three, four, or five of those lined up for interviews, and I'm going to post them as basically as they get finished up on the blog. The first two people I interviewed, one is a guy named Joel Hoekstra. He's the current guitarist for Whitesnake, which made me happy to an extent that I can't begin to convey and certainly 16-year-old me was extremely happy about that interview, especially being my first. And the second guy was a celebrity photographer and designer named Matthew Beton. He's Lenny Kravitz's personal photographer, really just amazing, amazing guy with a story and career like you can't imagine. If there's one theme across those guys and the rest of the folks that I'm interviewing for this, it's perseverance, right? So you're going to send those tweets out. You're going to write that blog post. You're going to make those videos. You're going to make those podcasts, and no one's going to listen right? It's going to be super, super rare if you come out of the gate screaming, like screaming success, right? And no one's going to listen. But if you persevere and you push and you're determined and you're consistent and respectful and contribute to the canon and help the conversation grow, eventually people will start listening. And for me, that's the takeaway, right? So the takeaway is perseverance and consistency. What is it that you want to own, right? Where are you planting your flag? And how do you consistently tell that story? You talk a lot about how teaching is important too, being able to not only have that particular skill set, be able to share that with others. And then I think another one of your principles is kind of give it away. So can you talk a little bit more about that? In January, by pure coincidence, I ran into Gib Biddle, Gibson Biddle, the former VP of product at Netflix. Super interesting guy, super nice guy, very generous. And he and I are doing roughly the same thing these days, you know, kind of the same kind of work, roughly in the same space. You know, obviously he comes out from a different story and I come out from a different story. And we were talking over dinner one night and he said, what do you like best about what you do? And I had to think about it for a second. I said, I really like teaching. It was the first time I had realized that that's what I was doing. It wasn't the first time, but it was the first time I... I Maybe the first time I'd accepted it, right? Accepted it that I'm a teacher. Because I'd be like, oh, I'm a workshop facilitator. I'm a trainer. I'm a coach. I'm a consultant. I'm a speaker, right? I'm an author. Boil all that down. I see myself now as a teacher. And that's something I never, ever would have expected 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even, even five years ago. And so, A, I find it incredibly rewarding to just get out there and share what I know with folks. You know, share my experience and tell my stories. Right? And, and if they get something out of it, that's a huge win. The nice thing about it is I get better at telling my stories the more that I teach them because you get practice, you get feedback, you get receptive audiences, 
you get less than receptive audiences, and you need to be able to handle yourself in those situations and be able to, to convince people regardless of what's happening there. I'm using it not tongue-in-cheek, but there's this sense and respond loop when you're teaching that allows you to improve the thing that you're teaching. The satisfaction that I get from people telling me that I've helped them, I've made them more successful in their career, and now I'm starting to get feedback from folks like, wow, you've really made me think about what I should do in my career with my next step forward. That kind of stuff is meaningful to me. It makes me feel like I'm making a difference and like I'm having an impact, which has always been the case. So that's why teaching, I think, is really important. You asked about giving it away. That part is really, that's come late. (laughs) That's been a recent realization, relatively speaking. You build up your expertise. You build up your experience. And then you spend time developing the muscles that allow you to share that experience, that expertise with people. Teaching, storytelling, writing, speaking, that type of thing. And the idea that given how much time, I mean, you're talking about years, yeah. right? Years and years and years of, of my life has gone into developing that. The idea of just giving it all away for free was a definitely a, a tough one for me to swallow. I'm not going to lie, right? It's like, man, I worked hard for this, right? I should be getting paid for this. And the amazing thing is, again, the more that I started to give away for free, the more videos that I published, the more articles that I published, the more came back, which to me, it was completely unintuitive for a long time. And now I totally see it as this virtuous cycle of you're developing the community, you're building that following, you're giving back. And when that community needs something more specific or more targeted or more explicit to their situation, they know who to go to. It's you. You become the person synonymous with that value and they come back to you. And that's been a massive learning for me that's really transformed how I run my business today. Well, let's open it up for questions from the audience. If you want to go down to the Q&A button on the bottom of your Zoom, you should be able to type in any type of question. As people are looking at that, I'll ask a couple more. Can you talk about some of the agile tool sets that you use or have used in this particular book that are applicable and that you've used to apply this new realm? Absolutely. I mean, you name it, it's in there. I work in short cycles. I do retrospectives typically by myself. It's me. <laughs> I mean, my assistant and I work on this stuff together. Um, I do a lot of work with Josh Seiden, who's been on the show as well. And so he and I do retrospectives together to understand what's working. There is a tremendous amount of agile-ish stuff, right? It's kind of the broad umbrella. So I manage everything in a Trello board. I limit mm-hmm. work in progress. I focus on uh, delivering value consistently and regularly, right? So there's always something coming out for me on some kind of cadence that's, that's very important to me. I change course. I have hypotheses about how things should work, and I change course. I'm going to give you a perfect example, and it's in the book, which is sort of ironic because the book, the manuscript was basically completed as the lockdowns were kicking in. I want to create a community that I wasn't finding for myself yet here in Barcelona where I live. And so I decided to go and create this particular community. And I created a meetup and I invited the people who I wanted to be in that community to join me. And it was a very specific type of meetup for, for executives, right? Digital executives. And, and we held our first in-person meeting and it was fantastic. And the hypothesis was, look, I'm going to build this meetup. I'm going to grow it to some size that was going to make me happy, but not too big. 
And then from that, we were going to start to generate more local work because I was getting tired of traveling and I wanted to generate local work for myself. Right? That roughly was the hypothesis. We had one meetup and then the quarantine hit. And the meetup was amazing. It really was. It was just this amazing confluence of really smart, interesting people having a great conversation. And then the quarantines hit. We couldn't do it anymore. And everybody was like, oh, crap, my company's imploding. My company's right. got to reinvent itself. We're got to, you know, all this. And it took us a long time. And so like that sort of poofed for a little bit. And we're trying to restart it now as a virtual meetup until we can get back together in person, right? And so there's all this stuff of like, I had a hypothesis, something changed in the world. The first virtual attempt we tried didn't work as well as the in-person attempt. So sure. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with the next. All that stuff, it's baked in it. I mean, I dog food that every day, all day. I like the concept of experimenting. I think what troubles some people probably is like, I don't mind experimenting in work, but experimenting on my livelihood or my career is a little bit more threatening or whatever. But if you take the perspective of this is a mindset, mind shift of I'm doing a small project or, or a small experiment it probably takes some of that burden away or, or the fact that not every decision has to be the biggest, boldest decision you've ever made. It's like, how can I incrementally improve, incrementally build, incrementally grow an experiment in the marketplace so that I can grow my career? It takes away that fear of I've got to find my next big gig because that's what's going to make my livelihood the next thing. That's exactly right. And so that's kind of the next step, right? So you've got this hypothesis. Great. How do you do risk it? You risk it by running experiments. And those experiments could be Anything from, I'm going to tweet about this topic for a while and see if I can build up some expertise and some recognition about it. For years, when I was employed full time, I moonlighted. I would pick up uh, five to eight hours a week of moonlighting work, and I would do it on my commutes, early mornings, late at nights, weekends before everybody woke up, that type of thing, to see if that was the next thing I wanted to do. And if it, if it was, great. I was already building up an expertise in it and some portfolio work. And if it wasn't, well, okay, so I lost a couple, a couple hours of sleep a few weeks and right. decided I didn't want to do this. So the experimentation is fantastic. Yeah, the last thing I'm telling you to do, please don't misunderstand. The last thing I'm telling you <laughs> to do is quit your job and start writing a blog, right? Because that's going to pay your bills. It's not, at least not right away, right? And so, so figure out how to test your idea. Like, Don't go spend 10 grand on a YouTube studio in your garage, right? Buy a $10 tripod and point your phone at your face and talk about your expertise for five minutes and put it online and see what happens. Right? Yeah. Those are your experiments. So we've got a question coming in. Uh, hi, Jeff. Uh, what is your advice to college students who may still be unsure or undecided of a future career path? How can we build our professional brand when facing uncertainty? Or the idea that you don't know what that is yet, that expertise that you can share? So I think you're in a unique position in that you really, from a career perspective, you have nothing to lose. It's not like you're going to throw away a decade of experience doing something or 20 years of, I've been in the bank for 20 years and I'm yeah. going to step out and join a startup, right? I think you've got nothing to lose in that sense. And so really it's writing down the things that you're passionate about, the things that you might have some experience or expertise in, the directions that you think you might want to go in, and then building small experiments in those directions to kind of see, A, what's resonating and B, whether you like it. Because oftentimes we'll say, wow, I really want to be a sound man in a circus, <laughs> for example. <laughs> right? Sounds good. No one ever said that. <laughs> yeah, no one ever said that, but here, here I was, <laughs> right? But nevertheless, right, you pick a thing, you pick a direction, you say, look, I think this is what I want to do. Like, I want to make videos about my family business of sheep farming. Before you commit, like, the next year of your life to doing this, 
right? What are some experiments that you can run? What's already out there? Who's doing what? How can you differentiate? What's going to make you better? Can you participate in the current conversations without creating your own necessarily, but just contribute now, build a name for yourself, and then branch out on your own? There's a tremendous amount of opportunity for you and very little risk at this point because if it doesn't work, we let it go and, and we move on to the next thing. And as stuff starts to land, the potential here is enormous, right? Because if you, if you can find it in, in your mid to early 20s, even your late 20s, find that flag and you start to build up around it. By the time you're in your 30s, you've got a decade's worth of experience and a body of work around this. That's tremendous. It's tremendous. Very, very few people have that kind of body of work around themselves in their 30s, right? They have a resume, but not that content ownership that you might have. Switching gears a little bit, there's a question coming in. How do you see the evolution of the product agile market in Barcelona and in extension, the, in extension to the world? Well, it's interesting. So product management, I don't think is going anywhere anytime soon. I think product management in one form or another is going to be around for a long time, right? There's a need for this. It's clearly, and, and the variability in the, in the position is something that is never going to go away. Agile is interesting. Do I think that in 20 years, we're still going to sit here and talk about sprints and backlogs and retrospectives? Eh, maybe not. The principles of agility? I don't see those going away at all, right? Continuous learning, continuous improvement, inspect and adapt, customer centricity, you know, delivering value in short cycles, like all of those things. Like, why would we not want to do that? Like, I, I don't know why that would ever go out of style. Will we call it something else? Probably. Will the values be pretty much the same? Probably. Which becomes a really interesting challenge, right? So as a product manager, I think you've got a tremendous opportunity to build a career, a forever employable career around yourself, especially as you figure out kind of what that niche is that you're going to, you're going to own for yourself. I think as an agile, I'm not going to say an agile practitioner because I don't know what that is, right? But I think like as an agile coach, for example, I feel like that is increasingly becoming a commodity, which is both a difficult place in the market, but also I think a good opportunity. It's difficult because, okay, everybody's doing it or everybody thinks they can do it and there's a lot of noise. How do I stand out in that? So you're going to, people largely equate one agile coach with another. However, the opportunity is standing out in that crowd. If you can figure out how to become the person everybody goes to first, what's unique about you, what's different about you, right? Why is your style of coaching better than everybody else's? That's a tremendous opportunity, right? To kind of mm -hmm. leave the pack behind. But that's the thing that always is interesting to me is that when people hitch their wagon to a methodology, I don't know that that's a long-term plan for success. Hitching your wagon to a philosophy, I think that has staying power. What are some of the tools or resources that you've used that are out there that are very valuable to helping think through these career changes? I'm building some of those now. Right. <laughs> so that'll be great. So that's going to be something that, that's going to come out as kind of a value add for the book and for people who bought the book and that type of thing. So I'm putting together a workbook that has canvases in it. Forgive me for putting more canvases into the world. I'm sorry about that. But really thinking through, I, I think look, the tools for me are Lean UX, Lean Startup, Scrum, Business Model Generation. Those are the tools that you can repurpose and apply into your career development. But I think, look, initially, it's 
really taking a personal look and saying, one of the questions that I asked myself, like on the, on the day that I decided that I wasn't going to chase jobs anymore, jobs were going to find me. One of the questions that I asked myself was, why would people look for me? We talked about this a little bit earlier, like what problem do I solve? What's my core mm-hmm. value? I think if you can ask yourself that question and really boil it down to a core value, not tied to a specific methodology, maybe not tied to a specific technology, right? What is the core value that you provide? I think that's a great place to start. If you can get to that, then it's a question of, okay, well, what are the various channels that I can use to, to deploy that value? I did a sense and respond book club actually not too long ago with some restaurateurs, which was super interesting. And they had read sense and respond, which mm-hmm. was super interesting. It's like, why are you guys reading this book? But they're entrepreneurs. And so they read the book and the quarantine had just hit when we did this. And a lot of them were like, I'm hosed, yeah. right? There's, there's nothing I can do. I run a restaurant. And if people can't go to the restaurant, then I'm screwed. And I had the same conversation with them. I said, okay, great. I get it. I get it, right? Like I, the physical place is the thing, but what is the core value of the physical place? Like what is the vibe of the place? What is the unique value proposition of the place, right? Is it tropical vibes and delicious food? Is it beautiful people mingling with other beautiful people to lounge music? Like, I, I don't know. Like now you can't recreate it in the physical space for the foreseeable future. How do you create it in another space? And to me, that's, that's entrepreneurialism. That's creativity. That's design. That's product management. That's development. That's fun for me, right? And some of those ideas are going to suck. Don't sink your life savings into them. Incrementally test them and figure out which ones are actually going to be the, the next way for you to either recreate what you did before or at least to survive until you can get back to doing what you did before. Excellent. Yeah, great stuff. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on Inside Outside Innovation again uh, to tell us a little bit more about some of the new stuff you're working on. If people want to find out more about yourself or the new book, what's the best way to do that? Brevoplow.com, which will take you to my website, which is jeffgodhealth.com. So everything's there. If you go to jeffgodhealth.com, everything you need is there. Get in touch with me, uh, see all the books everything's there. Well, thanks again for being on the show. For uh, other folks that want to continue the conversation about innovation, technology, talent, and the new world of work, please tune into insideoutside.io. We are having a couple new opportunities for folks to have these IO live events. So on May 22nd, we've got Fernando Garibay, the DJ entrepreneur, person who's ran the Lady Gaga's Born This Way uh, tour, uh, is going to be on live with us. And then the following week, we have Henrik Wetterlin, who is the founder of BarkBox and a new book called The Acorn Method. So those are a couple new ones out. Check out our podcast. Uh, Episode 200 just dropped today. So appreciate everybody being part of the community. Thank you, Jeff, again for being on Inside Outside Innovation Live here and look forward to seeing everybody the next time. Take care. Thanks, Brian. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.